You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seat belts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Hello, guys. Welcome to the newest episode of the Cabalcast. This week, we're kind of doing something a little bit different. Uh, there was actually one of the podcasts I listened to is a vintage sports podcast, mm -hmm. uh, specifically dealing with vintage sports cards. And they had an episode that was basically, here's my 10 must-have, my big wish list vintage cards. So we thought, let's try to adapt that to magic. So what we came up with was basically, you look at the three aspects. You've got your backpacker, yep. your vendor yep. at a booth, yep. and your LGS. Yes. What are some things that each of those places should have? With some rules, we had some caveats. Yes. So uh, we made it pretty clear for ourselves that we wanted to stay away from some very obvious targets. So for stock, we were say, looking at you know no duels, no shocks, no power, no fetches, no soul rings, things like that that are guaranteed easy churns. Uh, we had a little bit of a conversation about supplies from the store and vendor perspective, but some of them we thought were okay, but we decided to kick out like sleeves and dice. Again, some very obvious sells when you have a pre-release, this is what everybody needs kind of stuff because those are your bread and butter and we, we shouldn't have to have a conversation about those, basically. Yeah. So in this episode, we're going to start with the backpacker. So as a backpacker, what is the first thing you would need so the thing that i think a lot of people overlook and this is something we've touched on mm -hmm. uh with all three levels as well i'm really big on the five to ten dollar like common and uncommon staples uh and i would usually bring them in like a 400 count box as mm -hmm. play sets so like when path to exile was you know a seven dollar card i've had i'd have two or three play sets of path to exile in there and the reason i would do that is because literally just hey uh someone may show up and need these for the event. Yes. And if I have them, hey, these vendors aren't necessarily going to bring them, so I've got them, and I will trade you for them. Now, I know that, one, uh, those people exist. They're all over every single event, every time. Oh, yeah. People just run up all the time. Hey, do you have Meltdown? Do you have Meltdown? Do you have Meltdown when uh, 12 Post was all over Legacy? And being able to fill that need is really huge because, one, it opens trade binders, and, two, you get a little bit of a vig on that, which is super nice as a backpacker where your margins aren't necessarily the best. Uh, and that's, like, the one thing that, to me, I was like, all right, I have to have this. If I don't have this box because it doesn't take up much space, mm -hmm. but it can be pretty useful, then why am I even here? Yeah. And that was just kind of how I looked at that. Yep, I still maintain a fat pack box like that because, like yeah. you said, it helps open binders. And it's not even like you have to worry that a store doesn't have it in stock because it's too old. Another good example, you, you cited Meltdown. Uh, a card I'll cite is Wild Slash. That was an instant from Fate Reforged. It cost one red. That was Shock, unless yep. you had uh, Furious, at which point it became Fiery Slash and the damage couldn't be prevented. That became a $7 uncommon at one point in time, and because I had cracked Infinite, I had Infinite of that card with me. So it was very easy to trade out to three or four of them to people at FNMs because that's where they needed it. So I think that is a very easy look because 
it's very easy to put a fat pack box in your backpack and standard can be pretty condensed in terms of the number of sets we have and not every card is good that one's kind of easy to suss out so that 400 count box which is very small up to something like a fat pack box like you said is pretty easy to to bring with you for me what has always been uh super important something that i need isn't actually inventory based it's actually intrapersonal and this is a goal for the event so even when going to fnm blind uh just looking to have people to open binders for you doesn't always yield great results if you don't know what your goals are yeah and this helps speed up the process of combing binders and it allows you to interact with players like a human instead some instead of some kind of like card goblin because you know what your targets are you're not just like pouring through pages looking for value and your goal could be something even as simple as rotate commander cards into the player pool and extract higher value singles, especially if you move through multiple stores like we talked about before and you know your audience, you can shuffle cards through. When I was backpacking pre-releases, I would have with me at the time uh, just an idea of what I was trying to target, what cards, what rares I was looking for. And I was trying to find cards that I evaluated were really good for standard or commander at the time. And I would try and trade into those as best as possible at the pre-release from that set. Those are my goals. And it made it very easy for me to do. And if I didn't find cards that I was looking for, I was still in a binder and I could trade for something else thereafter in between rounds or just chit chat with somebody and just try and, you know, pick something up. And for me, that was and still is super important. If I don't have a goal, I'm just kind of aimlessly tootling through a binder. And I don't like that. Yeah, I think that's a really good one that a lot of people, but I think that's applicable almost at every level, you know, that you may just overlook is what am I doing here? Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's really good. Uh, my next one is kind of similar, actually. Uh, it's not inventory based. It's something to use in an event. Which may seem kind of counterproductive because, again, we're all here to trade if we're backpacking. We're trying to acquire cards. What good does playing in an event do? Well, the reason you have stuff that you can play in an event, and this is something that worked for me on multiple occasions uh, and actually got me a pretty good friend after a large floor trade, is I literally would just sit down and this was it was me and my partner. We basically both backpacked together uh, and he and I would play EDH. And eventually we leverage that into opening a store. But we would go to the four-man EDH pots, mm-hmm. and inevitably what would happen is a conversation would arise about what we're doing here. And we'd say, oh, you know, we're here to trade mostly and hang out. Oh, really? Well, what are your trades? So it's something that kind of gets you into a conversation with people to provide a kind of experience during the game. Yeah. That may not be people who are on the trade floor mm-hmm. or who are paying attention to vendors. They may literally just be there to hang out. But you better believe that those commander players have trade binders with some really good stuff in them. Yes. And even if it's not commander, even if it's modern or pioneer or pauper, whatever the case is, you clearly share an interest with this person and you can try to leverage that into a potential business transaction that's profitable for both of you. Absolutely. Uh we my my main LGS here, the one I do pre-releases for, they immediately have Commander FNMs, and even yep. before that, when there were standard FNMs, people would play Commander ahead of time, and people would play the game with somebody else's binder, like on their mat or in their yep. lap as they were looking for trades. Because oh, you, my turn. Exactly. Yeah. You're playing mono green. You have uh, 
beast within as your only instant. You can continuously pass. You can <laughs> F6 and go through somebody's <laughs> binder, right? Yep. It's not that difficult. It's not hard to ha- to engage with somebody meaningfully while looking through their binder as you're playing a game. And and yeah, it's super easy and super personable. And sometimes coming to people that way or coming at people, quote unquote, that way, makes it a lot easier to open somebody's binder and step through things when they get a sense of what you're doing. You get a sense of what they're doing and what they're like, and you can kind of come together like that. It's it's super nice. Uh, something else for me to dovetail off of my first topic. So again, something uh, interpersonal. So First point, know what you're doing before the event. Second point is know what you're doing after the event with the stock that you're picking up. Are you trading to move cards to buy a list? Are you rotating cards into and out of your personal stock? Are you bringing them to another store to trade out there? All super important. Like trading without a goal for like coming into the event and to do something with after, it, it is ridiculous to not have that, to not know what your outs are. And the idea of just letting cards rot in your binder to shuffle around is going to get you nowhere. It becomes stale stock after a while. People are going to get bored. And moreover, if you don't know what you're going to do with the cards, it's very difficult for you to attempt to make any kind of profit off of them one way or the other, be it to upgrade your own decks, to upgrade your collection, or to enhance your wallet. I think that's really important too is, you know, you can have... And I, I think this is a question, a problem that actually affects a lot of people is acquiring cards is very rarely the issue. Mm-hmm. It's selling them where people can run into problems, especially if you're prone to a local area or you only have a certain radius that you go to. You know, again, the reason TCG exists is because there are an infinite number of consumers on TCG player compared to what you deal with locally. And that's just good. You know, I, I think that's great. And having that out in mind really shores up a lot of what could be wasted time mm-hmm. uh, at events because I can't tell you how many times you know back in the day when backpack grinders were everywhere you'd see people at every event and it was just like when we talk about the pro tour grind when we were grinding PTQs oh you know hey how's it going what do you got oh you still have that lotus in there huh well when you want to come down let me know yeah because again selling was the problem mm-hmm. so having that idea is really good uh, and kind of dovetailing off of literally what you're doing after the event for me is, as a backpacker, having a timeline in mind. Oh, okay. Uh, one of the worst things is, look, and this is anywhere, going all day, not realizing how much time has passed, not eating, not taking a break, just doing it the whole time. Like, for me personally, I need that break. I've told every single local that's come up to me at a booth. You know, oh, did, did you did you win the lottery? Did you get the O2 drop? Go eat? Because I would kill for that right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because when you're sitting there all day, like vending or trading on the floor or playing, you need to have a break. So having that timeline in mind as a backpacker of, okay, so I'm going to be on the floor for six hours, and then I have got to take a break. Yeah. I have to. Yep. Uh, just making sure that you're doing that and forcing yourself to – Take that break. Take that time for yourself to say, all right, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to see, you know, what's out there. Hell, if it's go to McDonald's, whatever, just know, hey, if I'm here too long, it starts to impact my profitability. Yeah. Uh, I get cranky. And the cardinal sin, the cardinal sin is being on the trade floor too late. Because if you're there too late, the deals get drastically worse. 
your food options dwindle drastically yeah, and it's probably going to impact your sleep and then it's going to impact your next day and as anyone who's done it can tell you saturday is the day you want to be well rested and sunday you want a shark and you have to be prepared for both of those. Yep. So that's that's my big one. And you're a backpacker, so you're not beholden to the hours of the room. You come in late and you leave early. Yeah. Especially because the players that are there on time when the door opens are there for the event. They're not there to trade. So you get yeah. that extra time to sleep in, prep, etc. And you get to leave early because the players that are still there are playing in the event. Very few players are looking to trade at that point yep. in time. Uh, but to actually stick with this and the idea of organizing yourself mentally. The next point I have is actually organi organizing yourself physically. And I don't know why it became popular to just have a binder that looked like you threw cards in it randomly. There with no sorting and just putting a hit every couple of slots or every couple of pages, but that is no longer acceptable. A clearly laid out and divided binder space to better help you and your trade partners tantum out. And this continues to alleviate that issue of the card goblin personality and allows you to engage yep. with your you know, clientele, your trade partners a little bit better. You, you'll have an actual understanding of what's in your binder, where things are located. So it's less of a miserable experience for you and them. So if you're trading with somebody and they're like, Hey, I'm only looking for X, Y, or Z, this format, yep. these cards, you can just pop up, pop out the correct binder, pop open the, to the correct section, the correct page, whatever. It is just a better experience overall. And if you have no idea where something is, it's just like walking into a store and an employee has no idea where something is. You will turn around and you will walk out. And that is what is going to happen. People aren't going to pour over your binders idly when they can be do so doing something better, like stepping out of the hall. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, and this is something I've said on the podcast. I, I used to love shows every time I was there. Now... I can't wait to get there, but the second I get there, I'm like, man, I can't wait to be home. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely tough. Uh, one of the other things, and this is more back to actual physical supply for me, mm -hmm. uh, and when you say physically organize your stuff, I've, I'm really big on dollar value binders. So what I like to do when I'm backpacking is I have my 10 to 20 binder, yeah. my 20 to 100, and then I have one of the small four pockets that's on my high end. Yeah duels, masterpieces, what have you. Uh, I think there is, like you said, there was this weird, I'm just going to throw stuff in here. I'm not even going to have all my polluted deltas in the same place. Uh, I don't like that. I organize mine not only by dollar amount. Uh, I am a savage. So I organize by the way Inquest used to organize, which was alphabetical by color. Mm -hmm. So artifact, black, blue, gold green red ah, white okay, yeah, land yeah. at the end drives everyone crazy but that's how i know where it is i think ben blyway still pushes for that but because he used to write for inquest if you didn't know that <laughs> yep uh great magazine swan song was the best but having that is very helpful because then not only do i know what i showed up with i can tell exactly where stuff came out yeah and the other thing i do is i have an acquisitions binder so all of my new stuff in that weekend because i catalog my inventory it goes in that binder yeah. and it's the usual, you know, nine pocket ultimate guard or whatever I have sitting around. And that's where all the new stuff goes. Uh, but having that enables you not only to sit down and say, hey, uh, you know, I'll take a look at what you have. You look through. All right. I know what price range your cards are in. 
Now I'm going to grab the corresponding binder. Yeah. Put it out on the table. Here you go. If you don't see anything, I have a couple of other binders, too, that you can look at. And then we can look at, are you trading up? Are you trading down? Are you trading straight across? And go from there. And the reason I like that is, again, it saves time. Yes. Uh, look, if you know, if I look at your cards and I know you're dealing in shocks and you say, oh, I don't want, really want duels, great. I'm not going to bother pulling that out. Here's the binder that's in that price range. Mm -hmm. Let's take a look. Yeah. Uh, that that I think is critical, and you have to have that in order for it to be a successful show for yeah. me. Yep. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, when I was actually going to a larger events to trade in the pit, I I actually had the same thing. I had uh, dollar bind, dollar value binders set out. When I came back and I started working primarily locally, I stepped away from that and I started doing more format style binders because I was playing standard very actively. So I was winning standard packs or opening standard packs very actively. That kind of ballooned out and standard was pretty wide at that point. So it was easy for me to create a standard binder and we only had modern as a format. Modern Masters 1 had just dropped. So it was modern and commander in another binder. So it was similarly very easy to suss out what somebody was looking for yep. and it's very easy for me to engage with them with the correct binder. And that just came from experience locally. Like I said, I had the dollar value stuff. It didn't it wasn't difficult, but it wasn't easy for the people that I was trying to trade with. When I made it format based, it became a lot easier to engage with people, understand what they are looking for, especially because my locals weren't necessarily looking for value at the time. They just wanted to build their deck. And to yep. do that, it was easier to target the format rather than the dollar amount. So no, I think no matter how you do it, that kind of slicing is super duper important as well. Yeah. Right, what do you got for your, your fourth point? Or was that your fourth uh point? That was my fourth, oh, actually. Cool. Sorry. Yes. All right. Cool. Perfect. So I'll go back to me. So for yes. me, my fourth point is to bring your own personality and flair. And if you notice, a lot of what I'm talking about here is interpersonal because if you're not congenial, if you are just a card goblin, it's really not going to work out. No. And personality and flair doesn't have to be over the top. It could be something distinctive. So this is more about your interaction with your potential customers than your card selection, but can definitely be applied to both because you could be the foil person. That could yeah. be your personality and flair. You could be like the high-end, like chase foreign foil person. Ideal uh, at the time, like mainly in foil, Japanese and foil Russian, when those were both like yep. cornerstones God. of that high-end market, yeah. right? You're, you are effectively running a business. You need to stand out in a good way and you need to build repeat customers you need people to be able to find you and identify you and having that own standout and flair super important and you need to show your experience and your interests in conversation to help build that strong foundation with your clientele and that comes through in the personality and the flair that you display it's not just something outward it has to be something inward as well you have to be willing to engage uh i don't I don't know the uh, average age of the people that are listening to the podcast, but if I tell you that we used to refer to a grinder as Top Hat, people who are old enough will remember who Top Hat is. And that is a per that is a flair that comes with a personality. Top Hat had both. Uh, a human being whose name I forgot, an incredible person. You but he's they, Top Hat. Yeah, you knew they were a backpacker. They went by the name Top Hat. That is how they referred to themselves. They effectively were working out of their binder, making a profit at the end of the weekend based on the dollar value coming out of the event against the dollar value going into the event. But they were 
very congenial, very easy to work with. The uh, the the air they had was very rarefied, and it was a great experience overall. This is somebody who built you know a a, a great situation and a, a great following. Meanwhile, there were some other people who did not. They were just there with their binders to act like a store, and that was it. They were just representing themselves or another entity, and they were going to be there, sit there all day, and be surly about it because they picked the short straw and couldn't spend the weekend doing something else. They were curmudgeonly and not somebody you really wanted to interact with. And I think this is one of this is like one of the last big intrapersonal skills that really needed really needed to be leveraged then and more importantly needs to be leveraged now because if you're standoffish if you want to act at arm's length and not be unique and not be you know approachable then you're going to fail yeah uh i i think that's incredibly important and it the the example i'll give is most people probably don't know who filippo is at uh, large okay. magic events. He's yeah, a yeah. European vendor, but I guarantee you've seen him. He's got that stupid fucking hat with the spinny thing on it. Yeah. I love him, but man, that hat. He loves it because it is. People recognize him by it. They know who he is. It's like, oh, it's the guy with the hat. He's here all the time. Another great example is, I, I don't know the guy's name. He's evidently local to me. He went to a bunch of GPs and everything. The captain. He always had like a cruise ship captain's hat on. It's just how we knew him. That brand is very important, especially as a backpacker, because, look, you don't need a personality as a vendor. That's not your brand. Your brand is, oh, there's a table there with your tablecloth on it. I know I can go to you and sell cards. Yeah. As a backpacker, you have to set yourself apart somehow, and that's the best way to do it. Uh, I think kind of piggybacking onto that, uh, one of the things that is super, super important as a backpacker and this is, you know, on a smaller scale, something we both touched on earlier, is what to do after. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean after the event. I mean having an end goal, like long-term, as a backpacker. Oh, okay. Where do I actually want to end up? Am I fine just being a backpacker? Do I want to leverage this into a down payment on a house eventually? Do I want to open an LGS? Do I want to get there? Or do I just want to have this really cool relationship with all of these other vendors and just leverage that into something. Yeah. And I think that's very, very important. And it's something that, and I'm sure you've experienced too, when you're sitting in an event with a bunch of other vendors and you're sitting around talking, there's going to be that one guy that's like, oh, I fucking hate backpackers. They're the worst thing in the world. And then everyone else is going to be like, dude, you're an idiot. You used to be a backpacker. That's how you got here. Yeah. Yeah. Now and, you're just an like, advanced backpacker. <laughs> yeah. Now, you're, yeah. Now you're just a backpacker that has overhead. Uh, and like having that goal or understanding of like where you are and where you want to get with the career path, I think is huge. Yeah. Uh, just super, super important. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, even if it's just to serve locals, like, that and that's be, fine. Yeah. We've talked about that a lot. People who would basically, you know, bring a shopping list to events. Yep. Um, and this, that kind of bridges the gap to my last point, which is a willingness to network. And I want to bring this back and talk solely about out of the LGS. So not L, not every LGS can support its player base with singles for one reason or another. They don't have the time. They don't have the employee to spare. Maybe they don't want to. Maybe they do draft only. This raises an opportunity for you as a backpacker either to directly supply singles or consign in a case. And so networking at the LGS with the LGS can be super lucrative for you as a backpacker. And the other... Th <clears throat> 
The other place to network is with the players directly, especially when an LGS doesn't sell singles. When you have the opportunity to network with those players, that does lead to outside opportunities to either buy or sell directly, mm -hmm. taking orders, like I just mentioned, and to your point, kind of <clears throat> giving you an end goal for this. Yep. It gives you the opportunity to do a lot when you can network with both the LGS or the player base. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's huge. I mean, that's, you know, at the end of the day, this is a large reputation-based industry. And yep. to me, the backpacker is the single most reputation-dependent position in the ecosystem. Because, look, if you're a GP vendor and some people have a bad experience, you can get over that. If you're an LGS and people have a bad experience, you can rehabilitate your image. You can get back to it. As a backpacker, that image is everything. Yep. So once you're, you're seen person. by the grinders, by these guys, look, your appearance matters, your personality matters, all that interpersonal stuff that you touched on is like the most important part of being a backpacker. So, yep. All right, ready to move on to vendors? Yes, let's do vendors. Okay, so vendors at an event perspective. I'll take this first, I'll, I'll, I'll serve. So for me, the number one most important thing you need at your booth as a vendor is electricity. Yeah. If this is an add-on to your booth, the moment you take it, it is a life-changing experience and you will never not option electricity. Yeah. So this does everything from power laptops across the the booth for buys, sales, referencing, etc. It also allows your buyers to use lights to better tell condition or uh, well, how do I want to phrase this? Uh, legitimacy of cards. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah. And uh, there's some other odds and ends. If you want to bring your own small printer, et cetera, you can do things like that. There, Once you have electricity, the world is kind of your oyster uh, yeah. for this. You, um, you see 95 with their TV displays for their buy list. Bam. Can and they were one of the first people to do that. And it quickly became like, oh, the they're legitimate. Now yep. everybody does it. Yes, exactly. That was something to catch up to. And then, like I said, there are a lot of subtle points to this, some of the biggest ones being the, the laptops and lights. So for me, that is the most important need as a vendor for a show when optional or when optioned. Yeah, uh, that's that's a really big one. I am going somewhat similar form. Uh, bottled water. Ah, okay. uh, bottled water, and I'll, I'll bundle a, a bonus that doesn't count as one of mine, snacks. Yeah. Uh, the reason being, sometimes shows are just incredibly busy, and you don't have time to get away. Mm -hmm. And while we all want to be able to say, yeah, we'll let our people take breaks, that can't always happen. And having water is a really good way to keep people happy because you have to stay hydrated, and snacks is really good. Bonus point, one of the best snacks you can have at a booth, I will die on this hill, unless someone is allergic, cashews. They're loaded in protein. You can spend 30 seconds eating them or five minutes. Yeah. So if you actually manage to get a break, you can wolf some down. Either way, it's a really brief way to get a bunch of energy and get back to it. Yeah. Uh, one of the big examples is obviously, you know, Gen Con has reduced haul hours. What people don't realize is Indy is one of the best cities for events, period. So when they used to have Grand Prix or now when they have Star Cities there, Star City in particular is very specific about, look, you need to be there when we open. And you should probably be there when we close or close to it. So you may be there all day mm -hmm. and you may be so busy you don't get a break. And at that point, all right, well, I, I got to eat something. Yeah. So having that will save the lives of you and your staff mm -hmm. and probably keep them from biting your head off with hunger by the end of the day. Yeah. 
big ones. Uh, this is not a, a point of mind, but I will say, if you've seen uh, a booth like Face to Face that has a center island inside the booth <laughs> with two rows of tables and they're standing signs on top of them. Guess uh, what's under them? <laughs> well, beyond that, we will put banners at both ends. Yeah. And when uh, when you have the opportunity to sneak away under those tables and inside there are where you keep your water, your snacks, etc. So you might not be able to grab a break, but you can take you can effectively quote yep. unquote step off the floor, grab uh, whatever water. You from there. Yep. Yeah, and um, a break for thirty seconds where you can just be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we also keep our supplies in there, so yep. that's um like the life pads, the pens, any sharpies we need, team bags, etc. They're all back there. This way, we keep the the under tables pretty clean, regardless. Yeah. So that works out for us pretty well. Uh, for me, the the next thing I would say you need is internet at your booth. And that was my next one. <laughs> good, because we can talk about this. For me, yeah. there's one huge bullet point on this: is that a lot of halls now have internet, and attendee and attendee level internet is unforgivingly bad. Buying it's into the so bad. But yeah, buying into the vendor or con level, if it's reasonable, is the only option for you. This allows your buyers, sellers, booth lead, everyone to f to do floor research about anything and yep. everything. So it basically just keeps the booth moving. And is again one of those unsung heroes of the booth nowadays because there are times where people will come up to you at an event with something and it's not in your buy list but it is something you want so what do you have to do you have to go find the latest sale on tcg player or ebay and make that call and if you were reliant on cell service get trucked in that hall oh yeah doesn't doesn't happen there's thousands of people in there and in some cases tens of thousands with mm -hmm. other events going on you're not getting service no and, and I'll say this, it doesn't matter if your Wi-Fi hotspot is somebody's cell phone. That's fine. You just need your own Wi-Fi. Yeah. Not to mention for me personally, like the security of knowing, hey, uh, they have their own Wi-Fi. I can use my credit card here and it's not the end of the world is huge. Yes. So. Yep. And I'll actually touch on that later. But since we both had internet, my next point is bulk binders. Yeah. Super duper important. We talk about it all the time. Several empty binders either brought with you or acquired when you get there and a one row of played foil foils or like commander chaff, format chaff that you can't move locally will yield surprising capital. The cards do have to be good. You can't just stack absolute bulk, but played format staples do absolute wonders here. You want to move played pass, played swords, played brainstorms, played bolts. This is where you do it. Uh, consuming aberrations that you can't move on your website for a dollar, put them <laughs> yeah. in the bulk binder. Like, foreign language stuff, very, uh, like at a huge discount where you still get to make some amount of margin. Incredible yeah. in these binders. It's like, it, And it could just be bulk boxes. If you just want to let people tear through those one rows, it's fine. The binders just make it a little bit easier to price stripe. And there's a, uh, I'll put the word secret here in quotes, way to fold your binders so you can tape them all together. So if somebody wants to try and walk away with one, they pull exact all, yeah, exactly, all the binders. And at the end of the day, if you've taped them up properly, they basically just fall, fold into one another and unfold pretty easily. Yeah. Um, that also does mean you need um, D-ring pages, either with you or whatever, but uh, we'll yeah. get to that later. Uh, my next one, and I'm guessing this was probably going to be yours, is holy shit, bring a credit card reader, you idiots. Uh, 
it, it's 2023. There's no reason to not take credit cards at this point. Uh, and you know what? Fine. If you have to charge tax, do it. Who cares? Doesn't matter. You need a credit card reader. Yep. The amount of times that I've been at shows, sports cards, trading card games, general gaming conventions, comic cons, whatever, and people have I've literally gone up and be like, oh, can you take card? No. Oh, well, because I'm just not getting this then because I'm not going to go to the ATM and get cash. Nope. Like, sorry. And eat that $4 fee. Uh, yeah, I need the $4 fee on top of it. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. Bring a credit card reader, guys. Please. Square is free. You can yeah. get one of the phone readers for free. Yep. There's no reason not to have this yep. at this so, point. I, I don't understand no, why people don't. So before I go off about this as well, I do want to say we mentioned buying non-attendee level internet. If that doesn't exist for some reason and you don't have great cell service, at least Square will allow you to spool all your credit card sales and then batch them when you leave yeah so you can yep. go back to your hotel or wherever and push them all through at the end of the day so they will spool through that technology i assume others are the same now the point i had literally my next one was not just credit card readers but uh, a more robust pos system that can hook into your main sales system yeah. so uh, enough hardware that your sales reps don't have to wait so that could be two three four square readers and you can set up a custom inventory per show on uh on your Square account, you don't need a dedicated piece of hardware. But being able to extract that back into your main POS, fantastic. Yeah. So small tablets work well instead of phones. They're a little easier yep. for customers and your buyers to use because they can be a little bit bigger. But you can just rely on some some somebody's phone or some corporate phones, and it allows you to not just take digital transactions but track them later as well to see like okay we had a sale that crossed. Uh, business units. It went from uh, Magic into Pokemon because we're not at a, a Magic Fest, we're at a TCG Con and they also bought sleeves. So now our sale crossed all three of those verticals, yeah. right? Two business units and supplies, right? And that that's really good to know for your analysis later for to determine what you want to bring to the next one of these. If nobody's buying supplies, you look at your digital sales like, okay, well, guess what we don't need at the next one? Exactly. I and there's there's actually one of the best vendor experiences I've ever had uh, as a shopper was at an event where the booth had their entire inventory not only cataloged but barcoded. Mm. And I was like, "Hey, I don't see this. Do you have it?" They looked it up and knew exactly where in a box it was because they'd inventoried it. Which, granted, that's a lot of logistical overhead, yeah, but the ability to do that is huge. Yeah. And again. 95 innovated when they brought TVs. Now a bunch of people use TVs. Like, being ahead of this technologically and being at a point where technology serves you and your customers is key in any retail industry. Yes, absolutely. But in this one especially, it's one of the best ways to set yourself apart. Yep. All right. Your next point. Oh, yes. I My this next is the point. the last one, too, right? Yes. Is this your fifth point? Okay. Uh, please bring each buyer type. This mm. is something we touched on. Yeah many, many episodes ago, that there's primarily two buyer types. There's the number guy. The number is the number is the number is the number. Then there's the experiential buyer. That's the guy where you sit down, you have a conversation, maybe some stuff slides to a lower number, some stuff slides to a higher number. That's fine. At the end of the day, everybody leaves happy after a good interaction, feeling like they had a meaningful conversation, whatever. Make sure you have both of those kinds of buyers. And the reason that's important, uh, and this is something that I've noticed you know, with with the numbers buyers, they become less popular with some vendors. 
um, because you need that because not every shopper wants one experience. Some people want the number shopper. There's times where, you know, at the end of a show, I'll, you know, after a day of grinding an event, I'll just go and be like, all right, here's cards. Just tell me numbers. And I just sit there and that's what I want. But then there's times where, you know what, I do want to have a conversation with someone. I want to have like a mini therapy session, I guess, whatever. Uh, Just being able to serve that clientele is super important, not to mention when those guys may be a little bit slower and they have to fill in on the front of house where it may be busier, having both of those available for your customers is incredibly important because, again, sometimes when you're shopping, hey, I need these three cards. The numbers guy is just going to get them and transactions over the experiential guy is going to be like hey yeah no those are cool what are you building and try to start a conversation both of those are viable both of those are necessary and having your staff filled out that way means you can please the greatest number of customers in the room Uh, everyone's happy when they come there or potentially happy whatever but it's just a better experience customer service wise Uh, it's a better experience time wise and it's how you know look we may fudge some numbers here and there, and that's fine because in the end, it's going to work out because they'll cover each other for whatever fuck-ups happen. Yep. Because let's be real. Sometimes you may misinterpret that, oh, man, that is the list version of this card, and the original version is $40 more or whatever the case may be. So it's just really helpful to have that and to be able to provide a multifaceted experience to all of your customers rather than just going, yeah, man, these guys are real bland. Uh, they, they don't say a lot or man, these guys do not shut up. Having both of those is just very important to me as like a customer and as a vendor, I want to be able to provide that to my customers. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's something we talk about every now and again, and it remains as important each time yeah. the, you know, the, the numbers guy is going to basically be your like volume buyer. Yeah, I would say because they're able to tear through binders faster because the number is the number is the number. There's a lot. There's not a lot going on in between. They're just going to churn binders, yeah. and your experiential buyer is definitely going to be better at maybe pulling cards from people that they're not necessarily willing to part with, so they can do some more interesting things for you on both sides of the house. You mentioned the conversation up front with sales that can yeah. often lead to like, oh, if you're building X, if you're building X, have you also looked at these cards and have that kind of conversation maybe if they're knowledgeable in that area and absolutely they're they're both incredibly powerful tools in the kit for me for sure. uh the last major thing that i would want to bring with me as a vendor is a way to track both my sales and my buys <clears throat> and if you've ever had experience in the u.s with international vendors uh, specifically from canada you'll notice that after almost every transaction there's a note taken about it and it is it used to be mainly for tax reasons although rarely do we get stopped by customs to uh to to discuss that and now is mainly to be kind of rudimentary data points used for the events. Yeah. And despite the fact that these are super rudimentary data points, they can definitely help you to determine what the next event is going to be like in that area and if it's going to be worthwhile for you to attend and if it's going to be what the overall look and feel of your booth should be from an employee standpoint, also from a stock standpoint. And it's going to be very useful for you to try and basically make the most money you can from that event not necessarily at that event but from that event when you get the idea the context 
any insight of what's going on there. That's, that's incredibly useful. And uh, we mentioned not too long ago about the, the digital sales aspects of things. That's great because you get really decent insight into, like I said, the business units and maybe even like format information of where the cards came from, the supplies, et cetera, that you're selling. But you don't need even that much. You can do a lot with a little in this. And I think this is incredibly useful and more people should get used to doing this kind of thing because you never know that you're overstaffing your booth until you actually see the number of yep. sales and the number of buys that you make on a weekend. Also on what days, if you're going to be using independent contractors, it also allows you to bring them in on specific days. Maybe you don't need the two extra people on Friday. Maybe you need them on Saturday, yep. so that helps save some overhead. Maybe you need more of your buyers on Saturday, so you have some one of your buyers sit front of house, which helps reduce overhead on Friday. There's a lot that you can do with that information. And I think that a lot of people are overlooking that because it's difficult to see the benefit right now yeah. when at the end of the day, all you're looking at is how long did it take to churn the inventory that we got and what is the ROI on this inventory that we have? And you're more focused on that than you are on efficiency at the event. <clears throat> and I, I think it's another aspect, like you said, where you can get ahead from a technology standpoint. Yeah, and I think it, one of the really important things, too, is being able to track that stuff also opens you up to alternative methods of payment, uh, which yeah. sounds kind of shady. But uh, one of my good friends, he vends for 95, but he also vends Comic-Con for one of his local shows. And what he does is, hey, I'm going to vend this event for free for four hours a day in exchange for a pass. Because the vendors get a ton of passes. Mm. And what he does is he literally covers a four-hour window for everyone to take a lunch. Then just does whatever the fuck he wants the rest of the time. Because obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and being able to have that as a vendor, as, hey, I can lower overhead this way, make an employee incredibly happy, and know that they'll work future events for me, and make my other employees happy. Because guess what? They're guaranteed a lunch. Yeah. Because this, he can work front, he can work buys, he can do it all. It just makes it a lot easier because, you know, with the old adage in businesses, the easiest way to make money is to cut costs. Being able to know where you need that staffing, being able to know, hey, our sales are way heavier on fr Saturday with this event, and they're dead on Friday and Sunday. Okay, I can staff some, a few less people. Hey, do you want to come work the event? Great, I only need you for one day, but I'll pay for you to play in an event or something yeah. like that that just lets... You modify your staff, modify your inventory, whatever the case may be. You know, again, technology is one of the most valuable assets in this industry. And being able to stay ahead or use that technology to become more efficient, I think, is one of the biggest areas for improvement that any vendor, any backpacker, any LGS can benefit from. Absolutely. Is just taking advantage of the stuff that's there because so many people don't. Yep. And I do have a sixth point. Oh, and this is this is one that some people get not a lot do. And some of the people that get it only utilize it sparingly. And that is pallet shipping. Oh, God, yes. If you are going anywhere outside of a very small driving radius, you should be pallet shipping as much of your booth and inventory as possible. And the vendors that get it are generally international vendors. The vendors that get it a little bit are intranational vendors that are going to large events 
that need to send weekend. a large yeah that need yeah. to send a large booth and are flying their staff and there are unsung benefits to this from uh, wear and tear on vehicles to uh, easier routes of travel saving your employees time and being able to move products around that you wouldn't normally be able to like sealed it allows you to buy a lot of sealed at the event uh, i can't tell you how many boxes of just dom we were able to buy as face-to-face -face because we pal shipped it back compared to yep. everybody else who was driving and what our supplies looked like for all the events that summer including vegas because again we pal shipped them back and forth Yep. Um, we were one of the only vendors at Vegas to have Ultimate Guard's like entire line. And we had uh, the reps come and talk to us because of it. They wanted to know how things were selling because we were able to display I remember all that the actually, products. yeah. Yeah. And like we talked about the, uh, the difficulties in identifying some of the dice that were available at the time. The, um, Maybe they were like glow in the dark or UV yeah. reactor or something like that. And it was very hard to tell based on the packaging and you wouldn't know it unless they were faced. And now they got to see it in the wild at a booth, not just on the shelf uh, as an individual product. And it is also incredibly time saving because once you break things down, as long as it fits on the palette, all you do is wrap it up and you leave. You just take your non-bulk cards with you. The binders that we talked about earlier they can go on the pallet if they make it back doesn't matter <laughs> yeah and it also allows you to buy infinite bulk on top of sealed which sometimes can be useful it's not always the most useful thing to pick but at the end of the day you know quarters on like we mentioned bolts brainstorms etc might be worth the price of bulk it just opens you up to more opportunity as a vendor to bring a different card selection because now you're removing it from your suitcases and yep. a different look for your booth overall because you are pallet shipping some very large assets. You don't have to worry about what will fit in the van, how many cars do we need, whatever. Yeah, and I think one of the key points there is, and I, I cannot overstate this enough, being able to buy bulk. Uh, I can't tell you how many people come up to me every show and are like, hey, are you guys buying bulk? No. Huh? Thing is, the people that are bringing bulk to those shows don't care what you're paying. Yeah, they just they just want to get rid of it. Yeah. And that's such a huge opportunity for so many vendors to take advantage of, but so few are able to because again, shipping, space, everything else, it's just not viable. I I've, I've literally gotten to say, "Hey, look, uh that booth is the local store. Take it to them because yeah. I don't know anybody else that's going to buy it." Absolutely. And it's a huge opportunity. Yeah. And it, it's just one of those things that working for an international vendor really kind of uh, displayed for me. And it makes, it allows you to have the same profile all over the place and have a bigger, more grand yep. booth without having to worry about anything. You know, it, it'll, it ex allows you to effect, effectively extend your reach as well. You yeah. Know, you, you're a vendor on the East Coast. You've got a West Coast show you got to fly out there, so that's going to limit what you can bring. But if you pallet ship enough of it, that opens up opportunities all across the booth. And I think that's super important. Yeah. So that was my, my hidden sixth bullet point as a vendor. So. Dig it. You got anything else? No, I think that's going to be the end for part one of this episode. At least for me. Anything for you? Nope. 
Right. I got nothing else. Episode part two coming next week, yep. along with picks. Yep, uh, we'll, we'll we will be talking about the LGS. What we think you need at the LGS. Uh, we've been discussing the opportunity to throw in some trap items as well. Be, you know, what do you think you might need to stock that are actually uh, money pits? Don't do it; they're bad. Yep. Yeah. So that'll be next week. But until then, we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube. If you want to reach us on Twitter, you are. At Thirsty Sizzler. I am at Halt. I am Reptar, and we'll see you next week.